Welcome to the Agency Journey Podcast, where we connect with agency leaders to uncover the hidden systems and processes that drive their success. Now, let's dive into today's show. All right, welcome back to another episode of Agency Journey. This is Gray McKenzie from Zen Pilot, and this week I've got the pleasure of bringing on Ricky Lear from Digital 22. Ricky, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Um, I'm excited to have you on and dig into your story. Um, I don't know if you and I have actually spoken before, but way back in the day when we were running Do Inbound, um, I remember seeing the name a lot uh, as you guys were customers. And now, obviously, you've grown up. Uh, you, you've grown pretty significantly, especially in the HubSpot ecosystem and um, dominating uh, some of the European market. So I'm excited to dig into that whole story. Why don't, if you could just give us kind of the snapshot of Digital 22, the role that you play in the day-to-day now, and then we'll work back through a little bit of what's gotten you to where you are. Yeah, sure. So today we're a 50-person agency uh, solely servicing HubSpot clients. Um, we, we've had a few restructures over the years, as I'm, as I'm sure every agency does as you grow. And my role today is mainly oversee the heads of service departments so working with heads of finance heads of marketing and hr um to to keep those progressing a little bit further out if you like of um client services and that's not to say i don't have to speak to clients every week and get stuck in and hands-on but on paper i should be supporting the uh, department leaders in those in those areas that makes sense. How have you, as you guys have built out the um, kind of the org chart, what are all the, what are the different heads or what, how have you guys structured kind of the different departments? We've definitely hit particular milestones where we've needed to, to rip that org chart up and literally start from scratch. So I'm thinking kind of major ones were like 15 people, 30 people. Um, and to be fair, we're, we're, we're having that chat again right now. So we're kind of ripping it up. So how do we go from 50 to 80? And what's the org chart going to look like? Um, but at the moment, we have um, a head of each major business division. So like, say, sales, marketing, et cetera. But then as you imagine, 80% of the agencies in services. So we've got a head of services, but then the real structures under that. Um, so there's a head of services. And then each, we do it by channel owner. So there's a... Yeah. There's a management of a channel, so SEO, PPC, design, development. I think we have 13 channels or departments within the service team. So we're at a stage now where that's quite a big flat layer of 13 leaders of channels, and we're trying to figure out how do we perhaps layer that because our 2022 plan is to take another 37 people, so we're going to be 80-ish. And if we kept it flat, that's a lot of line management for particular people. It's a lot of big meetings with 15, 16 people in it, which aren't hugely effective. So right. we're trying to figure that relayering back out again. How are you structuring? Like, are most of the client engagements, I assume the majority is retainer-based, but is there a split between project-based and retainer? Yeah, it's an interesting one. We've been, until the pandemic, we were pretty much 100% retainer-based. Um since we began uh, because we started in the seo and ppc world and that was a retainer-based model when the pandemic hit i guess like everyone you kind of lose a couple of retainer clients and people can't pause and you start worrying a little bit we started accepting some projects so literally our rule until pandemic was if you want a project we don't work with you we will only work with retainers 
So we started taking on some projects at that time and we've we've really enjoyed them to be fair. And it's been a big part of our growth and they've been really successful for clients. So we've stuck with it. And now it's probably 35% of our revenue. So it's grown really quickly. It's probably the fastest growing part of the business. And that's causing some some of these structural challenges about how do you separate out the resources between people working on retainers and projects because they're very different. They're on very different timelines. You have very different demands. And that's been quite a new challenge to us to figure that out. Right. What, in terms of those projects, I mean, I think when we think projects, we typically think web uh, web builds and stuff like that. But are there also, are some of those just campaigns? We're building out campaigns or building out nurturing or? Yeah, so the, the two major parts, obviously, have yeah, websites are one of those. Uh, the other major part is around um, is around HubSpot as a platform. So we do a lot of either we set the strategy of how your HubSpot should work and you go and run it and it's your HubSpot, or people come to us to do the strategy, to set it up, do the foundational, and then they go and run it. Um, that's probably been our biggest growth area is being coming in and setting up HubSpot for people and getting them either through training or workshop or maybe just running one campaign and having them shadow. It's been like an insourcing job, like we'll enable you to run HubSpot at some point in the next one to six months, depending on how complex it is. Right. That makes sense. Are you selling into that right now? Are you selling directly into the projects or the retainers or are you start selling with the game plan or the kind of the discovery strategy project on the front end? Yeah, interesting. Obviously, like you referenced earlier, we did uh, the do inbound thing at the time, which was right. um, which was big for us at the time. It helped us do a lot of structures and processes. And part of that was around this sort of game planning element, like selling the game plan before the retainer. We never really fully adopted that. We still sold into the retainer in most scenarios, unless we thought, look, there's something perhaps complex here or something we need to scope out before we agree how we're going to work together. So we probably used it as like a, a two in 10 thing. We did a game we did a sure. game plan before we went into retainer uh, and we're doing similar on the project side. So we actually do the game plan a lot more now before we sell a project because right. that needs really tight definition and scope and how it's going to work. So more often than not, we're doing some sort of game plan or workshop prior to a project engagement. Um, with a retainer, I guess you can, you've kind of got infinite time to get where you want to go and figure things out and change the retainer around and these, but with a project, it's like, look, let's all get a hundred percent on the same page before we jump into things. Right. I think that's, uh, often used in my conversations with HubSpot partners. I see a lot of folks who are using, um, that kind of separated discovery project on the front end for retainers and ignoring it for projects. So I think that's a really keen insight is you need to be really clear on what all the deliverables are, what defines success, what, you know, what is the right design of what we need to build out here. If you're taking on a project and committing to a fixed fee engagement, uh, which really makes that discovery piece probably even more important on that end than the retainer. Yeah. It's really helped us shape what our scope of work document is. So, um, like I say, prior prior to a couple of years ago, we didn't do a lot of project work. So we had fairly simplistic scoping docs and things um, since going into it quite heavily. And some of these projects are a lot of money. Uh, so you need them to be right. Having the discovery workshops allowed us not just to scope out what we will do, but also to be really clear on 
things like omissions, like what aren't we going to do? Things like what the dependencies are from the client side. And I think you need to have either a really in-depth sales process or a discovery workshop to get that document accurate. Yeah. Um, Otherwise, you just end up someone lets somebody down at some point, whether it's the agency, whether it's the client. If you've not got those dependencies and omissions listed, it can really make a difference to the success of the project. Makes a lot of sense. We're talking about how HubSpot has grown. And so being tied to the HubSpot ecosystem, there should be some natural growth that happens as a partner. But I'd say Digital 22, you guys have had outsized growth. I mean, if we just look down on average, how HubSpot partners have done, you've grown really quickly in a it doesn't feel like a short period of time, but from the outside in a relatively short period of time. So can you walk us through a little bit of your journey? I think 2011, I think we were starting agencies at the same time. Yeah. Um, Walk us through kind of the agency start, the transition to HubSpot. And then what are are, like, are there key points that you look back on and say, Hey, here's why we're growing so quickly in retrospect. You knew none of that at the time, you know, you tried 12 of those things that you think are all going to work. And two of them actually wound up being the accelerators. Yeah, sure. So like just, quickly going back to the start i guess this was never a i didn't sit down one day and say let's start an agency with like a business plan and whatever i sort of fell into it a little bit um in between some roles and things in employment and some stuff happened and whatever i'm happy to tell those stories but i guess the point was i came into this as an an seo and ppc professional uh picked up plenty of uh, contracts and work for myself so much so that I couldn't fulfill them. So I hired someone and then, oh, you're an agency now because there's more than one of you. Um, and kept going that way. So I guess the first defining point for us really was we actually did okay as an SEO and PPC agency. I think we got to about 50 clients, um, with say a team of four or five of us, but quite low average retainers, probably five, six hundred pounds a month was probably mm-hmm. average. So there's a lot of clients, but, but low output. Um, I got cold call from HubSpot. I didn't actually come onto HubSpot through inbound, which I get reminded by the sales guy quite a lot. He cold called me. Uh, we decided to buy HubSpot for ourselves to get more SEO and PPC business. So it was going to be our marketing tool for us. Um, and I guess the landscape at the time was changing that SEO and content were coming together and things like that. And we got about a year, well, probably not even a year, maybe nine months into running HubSpot for ourselves, realized this is better than what we offer clients right now with just single channels. So I guess our first major decision, and we were quite, what I heard differently from us, from a lot of other agencies I spoke to at the time, is we were really brutal at that moment where we said, we wrote to all 50 of our clients and said, we're going with HubSpot. Here's where we're going. Do you want to come with us? And I think probably only four stayed with us. Um, But they went from 500 pound a month retainers to five grand retainers. Right. So we ended up with four or five clients on five grand retainers. They all went, they had to buy HubSpot to stay with us. Um, that made us a gold partner the day we became a partner, which was great. So we, we kind of, we didn't keep doing the SEO and PPC thing and tried to do the HubSpot thing at the same time. We just actually just went all in, um, which was probably our first milestone. And I think the thing we kind of got right at the time, because there's a lot of people joining the partner program, but trying to figure out how to do it alongside their web business or their current digital marketing business or something. So we were prepared to wipe the slate clean with the agency and start again, which is, I think, what one thing we did really well. So I think that was our first big pivotal moment, if you like. Um, 
And then a few things we did over the years. Um, another clear one I can remember is when HubSpot started. Um, there was a lot of discussions when HubSpot starts diversifying. It, it puts you in a really awkward position of like, what are we now? Like, are we an inbound marketing agency that will utilize HubSpot, but also go with other providers and uh, we'll just do the best in class inbound and it doesn't matter the platform of how we get there? Um, or do we want to go on this boat with HubSpot and offer CMS, CRM services? Do we want to do that? Um, and that took us probably a year to decide because we're all, we were all marketers at heart. So like saying we're not an inbound agency anymore and we're a HubSpot agency was probably quite a tough pill to swallow. Like when I look back three years ago, um, but again, that, it worked for us. We just went all in. We're a HubSpot agency. We're going where HubSpot's going. That means we're going to recruit CRM people that we've never recruited before and people who care about sales ops and all of these things that as marketers, you kind of touch the fringe of. So I'd say those were the first, th- those are two big moments that I vividly remember with helping us accelerate our growth. I think to that like burn the boats moment of telling 50 clients that you're not yeah. your clients if you don't jump on board. Um, that takes a lot of courage to to make that leap. So, and that's worth realizing for anybody trying to start or anybody building an agency right now. There's so much. One of the things that drives me crazy talking with agencies is the n- amount of agencies where an owner just won't won't stand up and just lead and say, "Listen, here's the direction we're going." Like your job yeah. as the CEO is to step up and say, "Here's where we're going." Not that you don't involve other people in the decision making process and hear their insights, but at some point, somebody has to lead, um, yeah, and and all of the all the successful agencies have somebody who's done that at, at key points in the agency. And when they start to struggle, it's because someone's abdicating that responsibility. Um, the point you bring up about being a HubSpot agency, as opposed to you had one core set of problems you were solving previously. Obviously, initially it was traffic and conversions, yeah. SEO and PPC. Yeah. And then it kind of expands a little bit. And now, so that I guess if, if you look back at how you were weighing out the pros and cons, because being married to HubSpot is a big commitment. If you want to run a lifestyle agency with 10 people, HubSpot's not the right platform to be to go all in on because by nature of what they're trying to do, capture and grow up market, they're going to continue expanding their capacity and capabilities. So if you're not trying to grow alongside them, that's a tough decision. But how did you ultimately make that decision to say, we're going to be HubSpot, we're not going to just be an inbound marketing firm? Yeah, I mean, if you probably touched on on the root of it, really, the conversations we were having as a leadership team is we're, we're all marketers. We all love marketing. We're all super comfortable in marketers, uh, in marketing, in marketing land. Uh, so from like a, a passion and a, a, a learning interest perspective like marketing was the obvious choice but the thing we all have in common as a leadership team is growth and we all know we we'd all know if we just stuck with inbound marketing and maybe grew 20 percent year on year we'd be probably bored but i think also people recognize that for 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 them to grow here we need to grow as an agency so Everyone here is ambitious. If they want promotions and they want more salary and they want more opportunity, that's not coming if we're stagnant. And this is the message I'm always saying is I'm not growing because I'm greedy. Like I'm, I'm genuinely not that money orientated. I'm growing because I love growing and I love the game and I love pushing myself. And I recognize that if we don't grow, 
I will lose all of you guys because I won't have opportunities to give you at some point. Like you will outgrow us. And I never want to stand here and in a place where our employees have outgrown the company. We should be growing quicker than you guys so that you guys have opportunities available to you. And yeah. that, that, then it was a no-brainer. Then it's like, right. well, let's go the HubSpot route because that's they're going there and there's going to be no limit of opportunity in that market that we could see at the time. Right. How does that impact how you think? So when HubSpot launches a new hub, like Operations Hub, the most recent hub that they've mm. rolled out, well, do you at this point, now that you've had, been through that a couple of times, are you starting to figure out a framework or a process for, hey, obviously we're the customer first and we map it out? Like, what does that implementation or rollout or staffing process look like? Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's really difficult. And there's, there's, there's always quite decent size curveballs as well. They're not small things. Um, so when they've launched new hubs, say like Service Hub or Ops Hub, they've been really hard for us. One thing we haven't done is, is dive in with with two feet and say like we're a service hub expert now because hubspot launched yesterday like we really haven't done that we've probably ran most of these things and and, and to the point on ops hub we're still in this phase it's like we're trying to figure out how it helps us and how we use it and get really good at it and occasionally you get the client where they're super keen but the keen to learn with you as well. Like if you get the right clients, you can have that conversation to say, look, I know HubSpot launched that yesterday. I'm not an expert in it today, but if you're prepared to discover it with me, we can do it together. Um, and that's how we've approached them. So we've been probably quite slow and steady, I'd say, to get around to launching. But then when we do launch, we know we know how we're going to do it and we know what results you can expect and we know the flaws of the software and maybe where we'd need to bring in any other integrations to to plaster over some of the early holes that some of the products have right makes sense i want to mention a couple things on the website that i thought were interesting so digital22.com for anyone trying to look is the site um you just have a tools page which isn't that's not super uncommon um but you've got a lot of stuff kind of outlined on that tech stack page uh from crm to pm to uh, reporting how much of that so i would imagine a good amount of deal flow comes via the hubspot ecosystem right now yeah are there any others in terms of tech partnerships where you're getting significant deal flow or is most of that the other way around where you're bringing people to their platform i would assume yeah i don't i can't recall us ever getting a deal from another tech partner if i'm honest um i think the way we've looked at tech partnerships is um Never from never from that lens that we've got any expectation that they're going to bring us anything, and it's looking for actual genuine. Where is HubSpot weak that we need them to be strong? And right. so, like DataBox, when we became a partner, we've been a partner of DataBox for quite a long time, so it's been a few years. HubSpot reporting wasn't amazing. Um, it's catching up, which is great, but we we needed to fill that gap, so we went to DataBox to fill a solution. I've absolutely got no expectation of Databox are ever going to send me business. And all of these partnerships, they always say that, like, we know people and someone, but realistically, like, I, I don't expect it. So if it ever happens, that'll be great. But right. it's there, it's to fill a solution that HubSpot can't. And that's the way that we've always done it. And we've been quite 
again, quite slow and selective and kept the number limited on the amount of partnerships that we have because there's a million things plugged in the HubSpot. They all sound amazing, but even just from like a bandwidth and headspace perspective, like 50 people can't be experts in 50 pieces of tech. For sure. <laughs> do you internally, do you assign, like does somebody own each one of the tools? Obviously a tool like HubSpot yeah, has different owners for different components, I'd assume, but for a tool like Databox, is there the, hey, here's the person who's our main go-to person for a Databox or Seventh Sense? Or- yeah, we've tried to keep sort of a, I guess from a partnership relations perspective, one person that Seven Sense will speak to here, and um, but also they're the person that gets trained and is the sort of go-to expert in it. But again, because we've probably only got three-ish real partnerships, it's not been a huge burden to have a, a Vidyard, a Seven Sense, and a Databox expert right. here. The HubSpot question is an interesting one. It'll be good, interesting to see where other partners go with this in the future. It's like. Everyone that worked here five years ago was a HubSpot platform expert in, in HubSpot end to end. That's so you can't do that now. Like those right. things that I've, I'm demoing it to clients and there's like buttons appearing and drop downs that weren't there a month ago. And we're still trying to figure out how we structure from like a hub's perspective because it's actually, it's, it's still at that point where it's actually not worth the investment of having like a service hub team because there isn't that much demand. And most of our projects are multi-hub. Um, so we're still trying to figure that out, really. Um, I guess if that's the way it will go, is we'll keep niching down and niching down while demand's building and there will be hub experts. But at the moment, we're splitting the HubSpot expertise by what they're trying to achieve. So the teams are more layered in like, there's a team that helps salespeople that might span several hubs, but just like the sales perspective on those hubs, if that makes right. sense. Right. That, that is a tough one because there is alignment issues that are like, you can't purely go in hubs because if you're doing marketing, you're also touching the web hub and there's an element of CRM that has to get layered in there and an element of ops that is also going to play a part. Yeah. Obviously ops kind of runs around everything. So um, that makes sense. As you guys look, so right now you're looking at adding 30 new people um, as we move into 2022. And those we should mention um, for folks who may be interested or want to check it out. I'm going to the website right now to see. I think it's just digital. It is digital22.com slash careers. Um, And you've got a bunch of openings on here now. But. As, I guess as we look forward, what are the things that you're doing to power that growth? Like, is that just an extension of the current growth trajectory that you're on, or what are what what are kind of the priorities for you as you move forward here, end of 21 and into 2022? Yeah, um, we're we're strongly trying to keep. We're aware that we could flip our model very soon to a project-led company, which is something we don't want to do. We still want to have the majority retainer, so we're trying to be very purposeful about growing our retainer-based business because we think the project stuff will come in itself quite naturally and we can grow that at a, at a good rate. Um, so we're trying to build out our own sales and marketing engine to purposely fuel retainer growth. Um, we've always had, at least for two or three years now, dedicated sales and marketing resources in the team, but we're looking to double down on that and have quite substantial teams for both of those which will which will drive the growth um 
I'm not too worried about sales. I think we'll we'll always hit whatever sales targets we give ourselves. I don't worry too much about revenue. I think that the hardest thing to do when we're scaling a business is people. It's it's finding talent, hiring the right talent, layering the structure of the business, getting the processes right. It's like winning business is easy, but servicing it really well is the hard bit. Like I don't want our standards to drop. I don't want to be getting crappy reviews just because we're growing revenue. Like that's the hard bit for me. And that's where I'd say 80, 90% of the brain space of all the team here goes on. How do we keep growing and doing the things we do really well? And those are the tougher questions to answer. Right. <laughs> yeah. Is there a North Star metric for you on how well you're servicing clients? Yeah, we've, um, we've invented a health score um, that's probably pretty bizarre to anyone outside looking in but for a lot of years we followed um nps so we use nps system we, um, which is great and it tells it tells part of the story i guess uh, so we have nps we look at um projects perspective because there's a huge a huge part what we tried to do we had a really big initiative one year to look at what are the lagging indicators of success so nps tells you how happy they are but it doesn't tell you how they got to being unhappy or happy so we tried to correlate all the clients that stayed with us a decent amount of time, all the clients that's left, and what have been the milestones in it. So it could be things like the first time we sent them an invoice, did they like complain about it or did they pay late or something like that? When we sent them a campaign plan to get signed off, did it get shared around 15 people internally and take a month to do? Or did one person come back to us with a couple of men's and sign it off? So we've got like, I think there's about 12 things of these sorts of that go into it and we call that a client health score so it's basically other finances other projects other results of the things that we do for them good and is their nps saying the same thing and we we come up with some weird excel formula that tells us whether they're healthy or not um accuracy of it can be debated but what we're really looking for is like trend data like our client health scores going up generally. Um, and that's our North Star metric. Is that calculated on a monthly basis? Yeah, we calculate it on a monthly basis and we report it monthly, but some of the elements of the health score um, we don't do monthly. So things like NPS, um, we don't ask clients for an NPS every month. They get bored of us quite quickly and stop answering it. So depending on the client and the amount of deliverables and the amount of points of contact we've got we might be getting an mps score like quarterly but it could be by different people and different stakeholders um and then some of the other data things like projects and finance and stuff that's kind of live data that we're pulling out of systems and things um but essentially it's a it's a monthly metric report at the end of the day right that makes sense um yeah i think you've got i love using nps as someone's first step into measuring client feedback definitely Pairing that with an internal health score, most of the teams are working with their the account manager updating it on a um, on a weekly basis. But you've hit on the other piece, which is there's other stuff that an account manager is not seeing that has to get factored in the equation too. Um, Michael and uh, Nicole Rose at Mojo Media Labs have a really cool and traffic light uh, model okay. where they have all these symptoms um, outlined, a list that the whole team sees. These are all triggers that would, these might not seem like a thing to you if you're just getting started in the agency space, but we've been around long enough. Here's the list of, this is a red light. This is a, you know, a huge caution flag. This is a yellow light. This is a pay attention to this. 
this is green, things are good, and kind of the marks of what makes somebody a great and healthy client relationship or not. Yeah, and they're the first, not. one of the first teams that I've seen implement that and share that with the whole team as part of onboarding and getting people up to speed, um, which is a cool model too. So that's that's awesome. You guys have this, uh, your model sounds like it's, um, like it's better built out. Do you remember the Chi score back in the day? HubSpot's yes. Client Happiness Index, yeah, which yeah. is a very uh, rudimentary um, attempt at doing, this, doing the same thing. And that's how all, all these systems start, is you pick out what you think matters, and then it gets refined over time. It was. It, and it literally came, we worked with a person who did the next model from Chi. They called it Sticky Index, I think, was the yep. original like launch name of it. Um, so we worked quite a lot with the guy who did that, and that started us on our own adventure to find out what's what makes clients sticky to us. And two or three of the elements of that index actually make our health score as well. So it's um, yeah, like you said, our our starting point to all of this was MPS, and then we literally had an MPS and an account manager score, and we used to take the two of those and average it or something, and that was right. like the day one version of it which was great and then all we keep doing is layer on as we learn more about clients and get better data you just keep layering it and it just keeps increasing the accuracy right this is as you know we were we were in the SaaS space previously this is one of the fundamental things i'm interested in. i feel like there's a SaaS play here for service-based mm. businesses some way to aggregate the right data pull it in and and give people a better something that's a better indicator than mps and there's a there's some play there, but I haven't I haven't figured out what that play is exactly. Yeah, no, I agree. If you get the collective minds of a lot of people who managed a lot of clients, like I'm sure we've got two or three of the same flags that that other agencies have, but right. I'm sure they've got nine that we don't. And it'd be interesting to see between us all. I'm yeah, sure there's like this hundred flag model, and you put all your data into it, and you've got some spookily accurate, <laughs> accurate. score about clients. Yeah, right. right. Oh man. Well, that's awesome. Well, Ricky, this has been really fun. I appreciate you coming on and being willing to share. Um, we mentioned the website, digital22.com. Is there anywhere else, anywhere else that you'd point people though to check out more about what, what y'all are? Yeah. No, I think digital22 is the best. There's obviously the careers part, which you point out. And then we got the big learn part at the top. So we do nine of our own podcasts. We have a video show. Like if you want to learn and see more of us, there's no shortage of it. If you hit that learn tab. So, um, yeah, hopefully people will check that out. That's awesome. We'll make sure it's in the show notes. Thanks for coming on and being so generous with your time. Hey, awesome. Thanks for having us. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Agency Journey Podcast. Visit agencyjourneyinsiders.com to join the podcast community and be sure to subscribe for future episodes.